Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so pleased that you're joining me today. Today we're going to talk about attitudes, specifically an attitude of gratitude. The attitude of gratitude that we should have towards the Creator, Almighty God, Hashem Yisbarach. We'll also talk about the attitude of gratitude that one is required, or at least is appropriate, to have for other people. Spoiler, it's not what you think it is. Now, I've heard many people say things like, it's all about your attitude. And a person's attitude can make a world of difference. That's not rocket science. I mean, you you don't have to be some kind of deep, profound philosopher or theologian to come up with the conclusion that attitude is important. And if you have a good attitude, things will be better. But I have to tell you, I am astounded at what I've discovered here in the Shahar B'Tochen. The attitude is far, far more important than I ever imagined. I'm actually amazed at what I've learned, and I'm, I'm very excited to share it with you. This is a, f- a phenomenal book. I, I keep getting blown away. I'm not a dumbbell. I wasn't born yesterday, but the things that I'm privileged to learn as I slowly move my way methodically through this incredible Sefer, the Shara B'Tochen, are, let's just say, incredible. And of course, as I've shared with you so many times, one of the, one of the most difficult parts of appreciating the profundity and the depth and the uplifting, transformative inspiration that this book offers is its deceptively simple, sometimes even lame syntax and style. Why Rabbeinu Bachaya chose to employ that kind of verbiage, we may never know. One thing is certain, as the Rebbe wrote, learn Shara B'Tochen three or four times if you want it to work. I've learned this many times. And so as together we share these ideas, I think that you have the benefit of repetition and a proper rumination and digestion of the content and of the material. So let's get right into it. What should our attitude be towards success? That's an easy question you must be thinking. Success? You just be happy. Be thankful. 
when things don't go well, and you aren't benefiting from Hashem's blessings in an overt or obvious way, then it becomes difficult to adopt the proper attitude to be able to maintain one's betochen and optimism and buoyancy and joy and certainty that Hashem is going to help. But when everything is fantastic, well, that's fantastic. What is the issue? Ah, there's a much bigger issue than we might have thought. Rabbeinu Bachaya, very interestingly, chooses to address the challenge of success and prosperity before he talks about the efforts that are met with failure. If you're following along in the new Kihat edition, I invite you to join me on page 125. Yes, this is, believe it or not, our 84th episode in the series. And we're not even halfway through. But hey, it's not about the destination per se. This is about our journey together. We're learning, we're discovering, and we're enhancing our lives with more betachan and Hashem. So we've learned that we are morally mandated, if I may use that terminology. Certainly, that's a, it's a mitzvah mandate. A mitzvah is not an elective. It's obligatory. It's obligatory for us to make all of the efforts, reasonable efforts, to achieve success. This is the case with regard to preservation of one's life. One is not permitted to say, oh, if I'm supposed to die, hey, I'll die anyway. And if I'm supposed to live, I'll live anyway. Big mistake. Rabbeinu Bahaya literally demolishes that wrong-headed notion. And when it comes to parnasa, when it comes to sustaining oneself, having one's basic needs met, he illustrates in a very clear fashion that our Torah tradition necessarily warrants our efforts. Not just to go through the motions, real efforts, strategic efforts, meaningful efforts. Efforts that will seem to be most likely to yield positive results or success, even though we can never be sure of that. So, say we followed his advice. We made the effort. We marshaled our smarts, our wherewithal. We, we applied ourselves diligently, not at the cost of davening, of praying with a minion, chas v'shalom. No, no, we were in shul, we did our thing. Not at the cost of studying Torah. Hey, some of us are interrupting in the middle of the day to watch this live. Some of you watch on replay, it's all good, but we're having time in which we study Torah. We're not letting livelihood or its pursuit get in the way of life itself. And we've made all the appropriate efforts. We were honest, we were loyal, we were trustworthy. We engaged in whatever vocation or occupation it was 
with the full integrity that Torah demands and expects of us. And we Baruch Hashem. Knowing that all of it is but a vessel for God's blessing and success as we've now reaped the harvest. We're reaping the harvest. So how does one view those successful efforts? This is the question. In the actual Hebrew rendition as we have it. And so, if a person's sustenance arrives, he's successful. It comes by virtue of one of the venues, one of the methodologies that he or she has employed. So part of a proper business strategy is diversification. Having the acumen to know that all efforts will not always be met with success ever. Well, you diversified. Say you find success in the majority of the things that you set into motion, how much more so if everything managed to work? That would be extraordinary. So it's not so extraordinary, it's just successful. As one fellow who needs to work on his betachen recently said to me, he said, you know, if you work hard, by and large, most people succeed. I said to him, yeah, Be'ezrus Hashem. He said, oh yeah, right, Hashem too, yeah. I said, no, 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 not Hashem too. <laughs> the reason we have to work is because Hashem, because God tells us to. So that reminded me, I need to work on my betochen. That I need to engineer my attitude. That's really how we should see a lack of betochen on behalf of others. It's a message for you. Each of us on our own level. And there are amazing levels and endless levels of how we can wax and grow and continue to deepen these ideas and ideals and become more intensely connected to them so that we have a life of utter, absolute, perfect tranquility as we rely on Hashem and live with full certainty. So here you have a person who succeeded from the venues. It doesn't seem miracles. You'll see later that could be a, you know, a bit of a problem. It's not miraculous. He says, this is, makes perfect sense. I did the math. I collected the information. I applied myself. I knew what the market was going to bear and what it wouldn't bear. I did what has to be done. And yeah, I'm successful now. Rabbeinu Bechaya comes along and he says, my dear friend, I have a little message for you. You got to work on your attitude. Roy loy, it is appropriate, and I would like to note, it doesn't say it is mandated. Rabbi Nebuchai is not shy to use language like that. He's used it multiple times. He says appropriate, suitable, the right thing to do. He doesn't say we're talking about a prohibition here. Roy loy, it's appropriate. Shalai yiftach al hasiba that the person who experiences this success or sustenance should not come to trust that avenue. He shouldn't place his reliance on those efforts. In the words of 
the commentary penned by Menoya Chalavavis, he says, don't place your trust in the efforts. No, he says, place your trust in Hashem. Don't rely. So I, I know it's going to be okay. I'm relaxed. That's nice. Why are you relaxed? Why? Because I have a great business. I'm guaranteed. I'm in the food business. Everybody always needs food, so I'm fine. I've chosen the perfect vocation. I will always be successful, a person might say. We tend to function this way. If we don't see a five-year plan, a ten-year plan, most of us get anxious. If we can't visualize success right now, and if not right here, but somewhere nearby, if not this moment, very soon, if we can't see the path, the critical path to success laid out before us, we start to get anxious. If we see the path, we say, now I'm relaxed. I have five years of experience. I have an excellent track record. Invest with me. I'm doing great. I have no fears of the future. Yeah, I know there's some issues. I, I'm not afraid because look what I've been able to do. So I have selected a, a good vocation. I apply myself appropriately. I will succeed. Big mistake, Rabbeinu Bechayah says. That's a terrible attitude. Terrible attitude. Why? I, I, I know that it's all in Hashem's hands. I know it could go wrong. I know I'm not guaranteed, but I'm kind of guaranteed. Wrong, says Rabbeinu Bechayah. Trust is placed in Hashem and in Hashem only. Now let me acknowledge, this is easy to say. It's even easy for a person to say, it. oh yeah, of course, no, I, I don't trust in my business acumen, I don't trust in my strategy, I don't trust in my vocation, I trust in Hashem, of course, of course, that's, that's where my real certainty is. People can say that, but really, how do they feel? When are people calm and relaxed? And when are people anxious? A person who has true betachen is not anxious. Even when his or her business affairs don't seem guaranteed at all. And a person who doesn't have much betachen might be extremely relaxed when everything looks good. The attitude makes a world of difference. Not because if you have a bad attitude, you know, people don't like working with you and you have this negativity about you and bad breeds bad and negative breeds negative and there's a domino effect. That's not the subject we're talking about at all. This is about the relationship between you, I, our relationship and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Almighty God. Our attitude has to be that I'm calm, serene, cool and collected because I trust in Hashem, not in the business opportunities, not in the vocation or my talent or abilities. And that's what the Menachah Levava says. 
It's appropriate, suitable, not to place one's trust. Perhaps call that mistrust in the medium, because the medium is only delivering the content. It isn't the source itself. Now, Rabbeinu Bechaya, very interestingly, starts to, to describe a person who is trusting of the source, of, I'm, I'm sorry, of the medium instead of the source. He says, don't do that. It's better that you shouldn't have that attitude. If you have that attitude, and if furthermore, it's not just an attitude, but you begin to, for lack of better terminology, rejoice. You find great happiness. Some might translate it as delight. I'm delighted with my profession. I'm delighted with my vocation. I can't believe how smart I am or how smart my mother was. She told me to do this and it was, she was right. It was a great idea. I love this. I love this pursuit. I love this medium. It's fantastic. It's straightforward. It's easy. It's successful. Yeah, I'm relaxed. I, I know where everything's going to be coming from. My dear friends, let us be brutally honest with ourselves. This describes us to the T. instead is going to be describing who we should be. By kind of indicating the reality of who we are. He's very gentle here. He doesn't say it's prohibited. He doesn't say you must. He just says, you know, it would help you to clean up your attitude. It would help you not to misplace trust. It would help if you wouldn't rejoice over the medium. And then you intensify your, so to speak, <coughs> your, your hold over it. Some translate it as you obsess over. Become hyper-focused on. And you your heart kind of turns in that direction. There's some things that, you know, they tug at our hearts. It's called we can relate to them. The heart's the seat of the emotion. The way we relate to things, that's our emotional qualities. We're drawn to things, disgusted by them or repelled, excited, happy about things fearful, anxious of them. Those are all emotions. So one's heart begins to incline in a certain direction. One gets emotionally involved. One gets excited, swept up. You experience a sense of passion, a sense of inner satisfaction with something. He says, this is a very bad idea. It'll weaken your trust in Hashem. I want to share with you the commentary of the Ne'er de Bar He talks about this, this uh, 
rejoicing element, the v'yismach bo, rejoicing in it. He said, what might this look like? You know, like, for instance, so what does it look like when a person is rejoicing in it? Does it mean revelry? <laughs> does it mean he throws a party? So the Nader says, shehechzik besiba. He holds fast, grasps this medium, this venue. The Yoimer, and he says, Ha! Chachmosi Omdali. My wisdom has stood me by. It's good I'm a smart guy or girl. You know, because I'm smart. I was intuitive. I learn from my mistakes, past experiences. That's why I'm successful. Learn from me. And you'll know how to be successful too. It may not be partying, but it's yismachba. I'm happy about it. Happy with it. And the nether says something very interesting. What's wrong with being happy? What's wrong with being happy with what you got? Including your profession of choice. He says, because this attitude, this is going to weaken. This is going to weaken your trust in Hashem. The Pas Lechem, he illustrates this in such a beautiful way. He says, this is really like a domino effect. He says, Do not say, my livelihood? Oh, it comes from A. Why are you paying your rent these days? How are you paying your bills? Oh, how? Because <laughs> I switched vocations. I, I chose a much better thing. Yeah, I went to school to be an accountant, but that wasn't enough. Instead, I went into real estate. But I was smart. I didn't invest. You know, I, I knew where to invest. And that's why I'm successful. That's an everyday conversation between friends. Is that a violation of the Torah? Can't say that. <laughs> the person endangers his or her life. Yes, that's a violation of the Torah. A person sits back and says, relax. It's all good. God will provide. Yeah, that's a violation of the Torah. That, that, that contravenes the explicit instructions that the Torah gives us. Get up and work. Do something. But having this attitude, the attitude that I worked, I didn't sit back, I did what the Torah said, and I am successful because of it. That's something people talk about every day of their lives. The Paslechem says, what Rabbeinu Bachai wants you to know is if you start to adopt that attitude, if you actually start to think that way, Al-Yadeikein, through this, you'll come to the next level. The first thing is, you, you kind of source your success. You say, yeah, yeah, that's my, my smarts, my hard work. And then yismachba. Then you're really happy about what you've done. And because you're really happy about it, you're going to apply yourself even more diligently. Simple, you say. I made this money because I put those efforts in. So if I want to make more money, what do I have to do? Do more of the same. Well, then I should... 
spend an hour less learning Torah, an hour less spending time with my family, and put two more hours into business, and then, just for a couple of weeks, you know, or maybe a few months, maybe a couple of years, and then I'll have lots of time to learn Torah and spend time with my family, because then I'm going to be successful, because the only reason I'm successful is because I worked hard. So if I just m do more of it, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> so he turns his heart towards it. The way the Paslechem reads the words of Rabbeinu Bechaya, he sees one leading to the other. He says it starts off, Yivtach. When a person misplaces trust, Yismach. Then he has joy. He rejoices over the wrong things. And when you're happy about the wrong things, Yosef Lahazik, you add, you intensify the efforts in the wrong direction. And then Yata Libay, then you get really emotionally involved. And you say, okay, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I'll tell you what's wrong with that, he says. Because then, Yechelash Betchayne. Because then, your betachin is weakened. Meaning your trust in Hashem. And it doesn't say this in any of the commentaries, but it's so abundantly obvious to me, based on everything we've learned up until this point. We have resolved that by virtue of our betochen comes our blessings. The more we trust in Hashem, the more we have the privilege of receiving His blessings. As the Rebbe once wrote, and, and I saw this manuscript myself, the Rebbe wrote in English, more betochen, and he wrote an equal sign. I think betochen was written in Hebrew and more was written in English. It was to a businessman from Europe. He wrote him more betochen, and he wrote the equal sign, equals more parnosa. And parnosa he wrote in Hebrew also. In Ksaviyat Kodesh, let's hold this note from the Rebbe. <laughs> it's like simple equation, EMC equals two. More betochen, more parnosa. So your attitude actually makes all the difference. Because if you have the wrong attitude, you end up with less betochen. And if you have less betochen, well, let's just say more betochen brings more parnasa. It's a whole new take on attitude is everything. And fascinatingly, Rabbeinu Bechaya doesn't talk about the, the need, he doesn't talk about, he doesn't emphasize the a prohibition, or a mandate, he says, here's what's right, here's what's suitable, here's what's appropriate. Live appropriately. Because you don't want to diminish your betachem. We're spending all this time because we want to further develop, deepen and enhance our betachem. And so he continues and he says, and so indeed, we should not, we should not think, we should not think that it is ultimately our venues that are what going to bring us more success. So we have to invest more in those venues. That these things are going to help us more. It's not appropriate to think that if only we'll do more of this, 
We'll get more mimasha kodem bedas more than God wanted to give us. In other words, <laughs> simply stated, I found this in the art scroll version. They, they wrote this up very, very sweetly. They wrote in a footnote like this. I'll read it to you. When a person is successful at his occupation, there is a tendency to attribute the success to that particular field and invest extra energy in it in the hope of even more success. But the Chavis Salavavis is teaching that the extra effort beyond what is the norm will not bring him more success. That will only serve to weaken his betochen. Now the truth is that there's, a, there's almost like a, a shift here. The first sentence is about attitude. And as the Pas Lechem illustrated it, the wrong attitude or a bad attitude or not as good an attitude or as strong an attitude of gratitude as we should have an attitude towards Hashem Yisbarach will weaken our betachem. Invariably, that kind of attitude leads us to action. It leads us to start thinking. It's no more than an attitude. We start to contemplate, to entertain the idea. So he says, <laughs> It's not a good idea to start thinking. Uh-huh. I know how I can get more. I've done so well. I know I can get more of this. It's easy. Two plus two equals four. I worked for several hours on a particular project in a specific way. If only I'll work more on that, surely I'll get to the destination, one might say. Except that that's not the case. Because if a person becomes obsessive over it, then he weakens his betachen. And if he weakens his betachen, then he has less of the blessings. Because the betachen is the most important element in creating the keli, the vessel or convention, the envelope, the system that allows him to download those divine blessings. So I, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You say, oh, so if I was successful at something, should I try something else? I mean, anyway, it's nothing to do with whatever I'm doing. <laughs> it's just a blessing from Hashem. So, <coughs> I, <coughs> excuse me. I chose a, a project. I, I worked on it. It was just a Kaylee, you know. And God gave me success. Now I'll choose a new project. So, of course, the intuitive thinking is, hey, what are you doing? That's where your success came from. You were successful at that. Keep doing it. But Rabbeinu Bechai is saying, when I'm successful at that, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with God. So, if so, maybe I should just keep changing it up. Because anyway, it has nothing to do with it. That's counterintuitive, but isn't, isn't that the sum total of what he says? So the Bianchi Vemden jumps in here and he says, no, 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 hold your horses. He didn't say you should leave your occupation that brought you success. If you had a strategy and it's working, he didn't say run away from it. You saw a good sign, it was propitious. Okay, if Hashem chose to give you a parnas in this manner, keep doing it. Obviously, if you keep doing it and it doesn't work well, then you need to start thinking otherwise. Because you have to make an appropriate keli. But this seems to be the appropriate keli and it's working well for you. Great, that's a simon tov. 
Rabbi Yankee Emden quotes multiple sources, and I don't want to go into these sources because the truth is that it's a little bit of a diversion. It's not directly addressing the subject or issue of betochen per se, but I, I am mentioning this because it's important that you not make the wrong conclusions, come away with the wrong idea or saying, well, my success has nothing to do with whatever I was doing, so why bother keep doing it? I, you know, I may as well just keep doing different things. And he says, we see this differently. Our sages tell us in the Gemara, and he quotes the Gemara in Mesechet Brachot, which says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yipa L'chol Uman Um Hashem arranges for each craftsperson, for each artisan, for each professional, if you will, you know, the things that, that they're good at or able to succeed at. For reasons best known to Hashem. So if you found the thing that works for you, stick with it. I'm not just talking about you need to make a reasonable effort. A person says, well, I can make a reasonable effort somewhere else. I'm talented in another area. True. But if Hashem chose this for you and it's worked well for you, that itself is a sign that you continue on this path. He says there's a Gemara in Meseches Erchen. On page 16, it says, A person shouldn't change from the vocation of his ancestors. You know, if you have almost like a, a genetic predisposition, people in your family are good at this, hey, continue to do that. Follow along. A person should follow the craftsmanship of parents. So, you know, it's interesting. There's a, a breaking field of genetic research, which is called epigenetics. I've talked about this many times. I, I find it quite fascinating. And the thesis of epigenetics is that our experiences and our efforts can not only modify us on a superficial level, but they can penetrate beneath the surface and we are capable of tinkering with. Listen to this capable of tinkering with or of engineering our genetics to the point that we could pass that on to a future generation. That means proficiency in a particular area can actually end up becoming a genetic predisposition. Not that people are gifted in a certain area well, so well, his or her parents were gifted in this area, so naturally they're also gifted in that area. Sometimes that could be the case. People have talents or gifts or abilities, and oftentimes you'll see similar talents, gifts, and abilities in children, or we'll skip a generation, you'll see it in grandchildren. That's true. Whether it's brilliance or, 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 or exceptional emotional ability, a variety of technical talent, a gift for, or aptitude for music, or oratory, or charisma, the arts. The point, though, is that it's possible for somebody to toil and work at something and then be able to pass that on. It doesn't mean you're robbed of the freedom to choose. It just means you have more of a gift or a predisposition to a certain direction. This has been observed scientifically in a negative way where addictive or bad behavior has actually become prone, not only because of nurture, but somewhat also, and I'm not sure how they prove this, but they've proven it, it's also because of nature. You know, to me, this explains the famous Gemara that says that if Torah study is engaged in intensely for three generations, there's a genetic predisposition for the fourth generation. 
It's pretty incredible when you think about it, because our sages seem to be saying exactly what 21st century genetics is telling us today. <coughs> That's why I'm sharing this. What, what, is, <laughs> what is my point? Well, Rabbi Yankov Emden says, the point is that this can be expressed in a variety of ways, including this idea that if there was a, a vocation or a profession that you have seen success at generationally in your family, don't change that. You work for the family business. I mean, unless you absolutely hate it. But, but if, you know, if you have an opportunity, why not? Why not do what your ancestors were successful at? There's like, almost like a predisposition. And there's a very, very fine line or a delicate balance here. It's very nuanced because on one hand, all of this is but a vehicle. It's, it's just a convention. It's, it's an empty envelope. It's not where success comes from. And yet, Avyangiv Emden says, nonetheless, our sages advise people to use the same envelope. It's a simon. It's omnis avoisov. There's something to it. You know, our, our stained glass windows in our, in our main sanctuary, which are really a very beautiful Baruch Hashem. So the artists we work with, look a world-class Toronto artist, a brilliant woman, and she said to me, for this design, because I worked with her in design, she said, for this design, I have to go to Europe. I have to go to Europe. And she said, she said in, a, in a city called Cologne, which the Germans called Cone, there is a glass-blowing factory where everybody who works in this factory is the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Some of them have seven continuous generations of working in this vocation, and the technology has changed, but they're almost like this is what they do. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's like an incredible thing. They are the most successful stained-glass makers in the world today, and they have remarkable talent and ability. And I said, you know, that kind of makes sense kind of makes sense. There are certain places that were known for certain things. In the time of the first base of Migdash, we have a description <coughs> of Shlomo HaMelech bringing certain artisans from certain parts of the world and different craftspeople from a different part of the world and, and materials from different parts of the world. There's, there's a predisposition, almost like geographic and anthropologic, where there's a predisposition to somehow succeed in this way. So success is always from Hashem, and the medium or the vehicle is just a, an, an empty medium or vehicle. But if that's what Hashem has chosen and what's worked, continue with it. And it's very nuanced. Like I, I'm going to be the first to acknowledge that this is very nuanced. It sounds almost at some point on, as borderline contradictory. Hey, this either is or isn't. You're either giving, you're attributing importance to it, or it's meaningless. Well, it's kind of meaningful and meaningless at once. And it depends on what nuance, or what nano area, like tiny, tiny details, micro details you're talking about. I think that's where the Biankiv brings proof from no less than three different uh, places in the Talmud. He also introduces us to a Gemara, Mesechet Chulun, on page 95, which, again, I don't want to go into the details because it's... it's <laughs> We've taken enough of a tangent already. So the Yankiv says like this. Okay, you're gonna follow, you're gonna follow that 
Avali says, where Rabbeinu B'chayet does want to teach you is, Thank God for your portion. Thank God for your privilege. Thank God for your opportunities. And you should pray to him continuously. That you should have success. Just because you had success yesterday or today does not necessarily mean you're going to have success tomorrow. Ever. So continue to pray. And you have to cast your hope always on Hashem. You know, I had a great uncle who was probably the first major orator in the Lubavitch world in English. Probably. I'm not certain of this, but probably. He was born in the United States. My grandfather's eldest brother. His father was born in the United States. His grandfather came to the United States when he was a, a very young adult. So my great uncle, his name was Reb Shleim Zalmanhecht, He was one of the very early shluchim, yet in the times of the Friedrich Rebbe to Chicago. And he was a masterful orator, masterful. I only remember meeting him once as a boy in the, before he passed away in the mid-70s. He died very young, unfortunately. He's a masterful orator. And, and I have this memory as a teenager we're hosting his widow, my great aunt, her mother's great aunt. She's at the table. And, and she says, you know, every time my husband had a big speaking engagement, he would write to the Rebbe and ask for a bracha. So he, he opened Congress a number of times. But, but he had some big speaking engagements. He was really a masterful orator. And I, it made an impression on me. I was just a teenager. My father was like, Really? Uncle Shlema used to ask for a bracha. This guy was a master, a natural. He's a tremendous, tremendously gifted speaker, tremendous communicator. And she said, every time. Because the truth is, just as you were successful in the past, does not mean you'll be successful in the present or in the future. And despite the fact that we may have a predisposition, wherewithal, ability, gift, talent, in the end, it's all in Hashem's hands. So you have to know what you're good at. You have to apply yourself diligently, studiously, with integrity. And yet, don't rely on it. Don't rely on it. Rely on Hashem. Because success only comes from Hashem Yisbarach. Very easy to speak about. This is very difficult to live by. To live by means, you know, when you catch yourself, when your mind is wandering, your gut reaction. We don't even realize sometimes when we get anxious or why we're calm, why we're secure or certain about tomorrow. And the answer is not because I got this. The answer is because Hashem's got this. I have to do my part, but Hashem's got this. Now, a person who can master this kind of betachem need never be anxious, ever. Imagine that, a life with no anxiety whatsoever. Do you know how bad 
Anxiety is for people. Do you know how many years it subtracts off people's life? How much illness it brings? From heart failure to the dreaded sea, anxiety eats us up from inside. You can be freed of anxiety. Rabbi Pachaya is offering us a blissful life. You can't get this anywhere else. This is the only location, so to speak, Shara Betachan. Because if you learn to trust, you can live with certainty. And that's not a joke. Going back to the words of Rabbeinu Bachaya, Al yismach bihidov keiba v'sibuvo he says, do not, do not make the mistake of relying on, you know, this venue that, that's worked so well for you. Don't delight in it. Don't rejoice in it. Don't think that it, this particular venue, this is the reason I'm successful. Because I made the wise choice. Because I applied myself. Because I was lucky. But I got it now. No, because Hashem wants you to. Achyoida, a person should acknowledge Habayda, the Creator. Asher hitrifoy, the Boyda, the Creator who has sustained him. Achar yigiyasi. And here Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar crosses into a very interesting place. So, so say we resolve, we acknowledge and accept that our efforts have nothing to do with success, ultimately. It's all a mirage. It's all, it's all a, a camouflaged vehicle to, to deliver the gift from Hashem. As we've talked about, and I don't want to repeat what we talked about in previous episodes. So he says, why should I be happy if my vocation works? I should just be happy with the bank account. He says, no, no, you should. He said, you should thank Hashem. What should you not thank? What should you thank Hashem for? That Hashem has provided His sustenance, achar yigiyasi, by virtue of His toil. But, but it's not by virtue of my toil. Well, you're right. It's not by virtue of His toil. And the truth is that as the Paslechem says, don't think that the goodness comes from the venue, from the medium. Doing more of the same is not going to bring you any more than what God has already promised you. But, nonetheless, the fact remains that he's a person who's benefited and benefited significantly from his handiwork. He said, well, no, it's not really from your handiwork. It's not, it's not from you. Well, what's it from? So, well, it's, it's from, I mean, one plus one equals two. So I opened the store and had merchandise. I bought the merchandise. I invested $100,000. I kept everything open. I made sales. 
I watched the back door. I did all the things I was supposed to do. And now I grossed or brought in $200,000 with $100,000. I repay my investment and I have $100,000 of profit from my business. <laughs> it's not from your business. Hashem threw $100,000 at you. It's nothing to do with your business. Don't you bother, why bother investing $100,000 in the same business next year? Invest it somewhere else. If Hashem wants you to make 100% profit, you'll make 100% profit elsewhere. Don't reinvest in the same business. No, 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 wrong, wrong. That's not what he said. I never said that. Reinvest. Okay, I'm, I'm going to reinvest. I'm grateful to Hashem <coughs> that the efforts that I made, that they, that they brought me success. Hey, did the efforts I make bring me the success? You see what I'm getting at? This is, this is very nuanced stuff. So he says, what should a person be grateful for? He said a person should be grateful that he doesn't have to feel like he put all this toil in and it's for nothing. That is to say, imagine two scenarios. One person puts in what they call in English an honest day's work. He invested time, effort, energy, wherewithal, did it in a way which is observant and pious, all good things. And he, he succeeded. He did as well as he hoped to, as well as fiduciary professionals predicted. He maybe even did a little better. He was really successful, so he's grateful. His friend invest in himself in a similar pursuit, and he failed at everything he did. Everything went backwards, despite his best of efforts and despite all of his toil. In the 11th and a half hour, as they were coming to shut him down, suddenly a miraculous thing happened. He didn't know where this came from. And it was amazing, and, and everything worked out. Who is more fortunate, the first fellow or the second fellow? The first guy says, I put the effort in. I know Hashem blessed me and Hashem, I'm grateful for what Hashem gave me. The second guy says, I put the effort in. Hashem didn't bless anything. But he blessed me in the end. I mean, I paid all my debts off and here I am starting the year without a minus in my bank account. All my debts are paid and I'm good. So <laughs> if we talk about this on a, a literal level, a person would say, hey, that first individual has peace and tranquility, lives a normal life. The second person is hanging from a thread. They said, no, no. These are two people with absolute betachen. They have no anxiety. They have no worries. They have no concerns. They trust in Hashem. I said, okay. So if he trusts in Hashem, tell me, how is it possible? How is it possible if he's so... Why didn't it go? Didn't go, it didn't go. Hashem doesn't. Hashem chose not to give him. Hashem gave him his parnasa in a different way. So who's more fortunate from a betochen perspective? Assuming they both have full betochen. Beinu Bechaya says, the first, the first is more, it's more fortunate. Because he didn't work in vain. The other guy says, you know, I worked for 11 and a half months and every single thing I did went to pot. I wish, I wish I could have, I could be like you. You could feel good about yourself. I can't, I, I feel like a total loser. And the first guy says, hey, listen, it's not me anyway. It's all Hashem anyway. So who cares? What's the difference? 
And this is really interesting because Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, no, 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 the first guy is more fortunate because he didn't work for nothing. He didn't plant and then see a rot in the ground. This is a very bold statement. I would venture to say it flies in the face of everything we've just learned. Rebbein Nebuchadnezzar says, I have a verse to back me up. I know I'm right. And the verse, Kamesha Kosov, says it in a Pasuk. It's interesting that Rebbein Nebuchadnezzar has to bring a Pasuk. This is like intuitive. Ask, ask anybody, who's a happier person? The person who has a predictable, normal life. He works, he's successful. Or the other one. So you say, well, the first one. You know how I know? Because it says in a Pasuk. <laughs> really? Because it says in a Pasuk? You mean, if it wouldn't say it in a Pasuk, if there wouldn't be a verse in the scripture that says that the first guy is, is, is in good shape, I wouldn't think he's in good shape. It's like saying, here's a guy who ate, and he's hated, and he's the good digestion, and he's healthy. Here's a guy who's starving. Before he dropped dead, he got to eat something, so now he's still alive. Who is a happier fellow? I said, what do you mean? Like a, the, I'm, I'm not sure. So the first guy is. Ha! How do you know? Why would you say so? Why? It says in a Pasuk. <laughs> like, really? I looked at all the, the different versions of, of the, of the Shara Batachan. Nobody even notes that this Pasuk, this verse, is like entirely superfluous. Uh, you need a verse to know that a person who works and is successful is fortunate? <laughs> it's like have these headlines. Headlines. Living a healthy lifestyle statistically means you live longer. Experts. And you say, hmm, what would we do without the experts? I mean, you had to go to school for at least 27 years to be able to make a statement like that. Bananas are healthier than chocolate, even though they both grow from the ground. Experts. Hashem for the experts, because you know. If we didn't have nutritional experts, we'd probably think that chocolate pie is healthier than bananas. But now, now we know from the experts that bananas are healthy. We know that this is good and better, like it says. But it's not so simple. It's not so simple, my friends, because Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar has been talking to us about our attitude towards things, and he's made it very, very clear that it's not what we do. It's not our efforts. That's not the source of our success. So if somebody's fortunate enough to work hard and see success, is that even a good thing? So he says, yes, it is. You should thank Hashem for that. Thank them, acknowledge. Have an attitude of gratitude for it. That he was able to reach success by virtue of his efforts. He didn't invest all of his effort in Torah Kosov, As King David in his prophetically infused wisdom says... Psalm 128, verse 2. The toil of your own hands. When that's what you eat. 
a euphemism. That's what you benefit from. That's what sustains you. Ashrecha v'tayvlach. You are fortunate. And that's good for you. The Paslechem interestingly says that perhaps Rabbeinu B'chaya means he quotes the whole verse. He doesn't always quote the whole verse. There's Yagia. And then there's Kapecha, he says. There's, there's effort. And then he says there's Amoloi V'tirchei. His Amol, his toil, V'tirchei, is being bothered, the burden. He says all this is like double. He says because the Amoloi V'tirchei refers to the mental or emotional toil, effort, dare I say stress, you know, when a person's tired, exhausted because, because they're emotionally spent. Because they're, they're just, they've been working so hard, thinking things through, they're just they're exhausted from it. And then there's physical, back-breaking labor. You can be white-collar, but physically you've been in the office for a long time and you were dealing with issue after issue, and it takes a physical strain. So if the person sees success through that, and I said, what? What? Why? If it anyway comes from Hashem, what is the virtue here? So let's go on a little journey together, my friend. And Malid is asking a question. Who had the greatest faith in Judaism? Is it pre-ordered? I'm going to say two things. I, th I think you mean preordained. So first of all, faith cannot be preordained, otherwise we won't get credit for it. Every mitzvah has to be something we choose to do. Who lived with the greatest faith? So in general it says tzaddik tzaddikim live by virtue of their faith. Who, who am I to judge? Who do you know is a bigger tzaddik, smaller tzaddik? Do we even know these things? I'll leave that to the experts. Avraham Avinu was certainly a paradigm of tremendous emuna, Tremendous emuna. Ptachan, trust. Might be Avraham. Might be. It's kind of poetic, the first Jew. But anyway, that's... Uh, that's just my opinion. It's just my opinion. What do I know? I'm a little guy. I don't remember reading anywhere who is the greatest paradigm of faith. It may, it may be sad. I don't, I don't remember. All right. But uh, thank you for asking. And uh, I am going to keep looking here. So if you have any questions, please feel free to post them here on the live chat. And I'll be happy to try and respond. All right. So... I, I, I'm having a hard time, I'm having a very hard time trying to understand what, what this verse is saying. And, and anyway, if my efforts, your efforts, our efforts don't produce the results, so why is it Asherach HaVatevlach? So there's a famous Gemara, which I remembered. But what was interesting to me was that Rashi quotes this Gemara as the literal meaning. It's not a homily, it's the literal meaning of the verse. The Gemara, Rashi quotes it from Masechet Brachot, it's found elsewhere also. It says, Yigekhapecha, says Rashi, Hanehne miyegio, a person, this is Rashi's commentary on the book of Tehillim, 
person who benefits from the toil of his handiwork, nocho shnei olamot. He, and this is like a euphemism, proverbially speaking, he inherits two worlds. Rashi says that's the literal meaning. The Mitzudah's David puts it, Az tikabel ota kol scharcha mushlam in machzer. Then you receive full remuneration in every which way. You worked, you toiled, <laughs> you put the effort in, and you get remunerated. Radak similarly translates the, the, the verse also, that this is the meaning. It says, <coughs> This is what our rabbis of blessed memory said. You're fortunate in this world, and it's good for you in the other world. And I'm asking the question, why? Why? So I was delighted to find that the Rebbe asked this question in a mimer that starts with the words Yigia Kapecha that was delivered by the Rebbe in 1964. The Rebbe asks, and I'll quote it, he says, What's so great about it? So what? So you happen to benefit from your handiwork directly, and somebody else did all the things he's supposed to do, and he didn't benefit from those things. What's the Maila? Where is the virtue, so to speak? Why is it more virtuous? Why is it virtuous altogether? That's the question. So, the truth is, that to appreciate this, the Rebbe kind of sends us off to another mimer, and I, I want to spend some time on this, on this mimer. This is a mimer of the Alter Rebbe that was delivered on Shabbat Chol Hamoid Pesach in the year 1795. Short, relatively short Hasidic discourse. And I'm going to give you the highlights of the mimer because I think it will answer many, many questions for us. It will explain to us what Rabbi Nechaya may have meant when he brought this verse, but it will also shed light on the whole idea of Betachen. Some of these are themes that we visited before. I think you will very much enjoy the way this is presented. And then we'll come back to the Rebbe's mind, and the Rebbe adds yet another fascinating nuance which completes the picture and gives us a, a tremendous understanding a really foundational appreciation of what's being conveyed to us. Just turn that off. So the Alter Rebbe asked this similar question, what's the Maila, what's so great about this? And he asks another question. He says, I can think of why actually it's bad. Think about it. If I work hard and I'm successful, what am I in danger of doing? Patting myself on the back and saying, hey, good stuff. You're good. And in focusing on my efforts, my achievements, what can I easily forget? Rabbi Nishlelem. 
But the person who toiled and, and he worked so hard and he didn't have any success, how does he feel? He feels terrible. So he feels like a loser. And then, like out of the blue, as they say, out of nowhere, something comes his way. And he says, Wow, I'm so smart. No, he doesn't. Nobody can be that foolish. How could he say he's so smart? So smart about what? He says, more like, wow, I'm so lucky. Look at this. Look how kind Hashem has been to me. Look how good Hashem is to me. That's what he says. He said, this is incredible. I never dreamed I'd be able to accomplish this. I don't even know where this came from. Right? I mean, let's be honest. The person, the person who toils, the person who works hard and he succeeds can easily convince himself that he is the master of his own destiny, that he is the one who did this. But the other person can't. So maybe it's better to be the other person. Al Zarebbe says, this can bring him from disassociation with God. To come through his success, he says, I did this. So the Alter Rebbe says to understand this, we have to address a well-worn question that we've talked about many times in the various episodes on Betachen. It is written, God's going to bless you. Whatever you do. It's not that ever says, why is that? God needs you to make efforts. If he wants, he could sustain you any which way. God has no limitations. So to understand that, the Altar Rebbe says, let's ask another question. Why are we davening? We daven for our parnasa. Every day we're asking for our needs in the Shemur Nasri. What are you asking for? Torah says, A person's sustenance is It's already decided at the beginning of the year exactly what's coming your way. Well, if that's what it is, that's what it is. <laughs> the Rebbe says, did you ever notice that in Birchat Hamazon, we say, Hazan et olam, who sustains the whole world. Kulo, betuvo, bechein, u bechesed. Bechein is with grace, and bechesed is with kindness. So the Rebbe says, excuse me, if he sustains the whole world, is that not grace and kindness? for free, takes care of the whole world. So why do you have to add what was being added over here? Almighty God sustains everybody and not only He gave you everything you needed, not only He provides sustenance for a whole wide world, He did it with and chesed. Yeah, pray tell, what's the difference between giving everything everybody they need and giving everything, everybody everything they need b'chein u'b'chesed? Like, how does, it, how does the second one look any different? Why is it even an issue? 
So the Alter Rebbe sets off on a discussion of the beginning of the Jewish year and Rosh Hashanah and when it comes to Yom Kippur and, and the beginning of the year we say we should be written Ktiva and then we come to the final prayer, the climax of Yom Kippur and it's called Ne'ilah and there we say not only the idea of Ketiva but we also talk about the idea of Khatima. We talk about the idea of sealing. What's the business of sealing, he says. What does that mean? And anyway, he says, if it's anyway sealed, and why do we ask Hashem every day? Bechol yom we say, poteach et yadecha, open your hand. You know, it's interesting, the Alter Rebbe notes that the word poteach, et yadecha, the word patach is the same word as he says, poteach et yadecha, that this represents chatach, or the shorish in parnasa, the idea of the origin of Parnassa. And he says, so, so what, what is this all about? Now, the Rebbe sets off and gives us a, a marvelous foundational understanding of this. He says the truth is that the energy of divine benison, divine kindness, the Or HaChesed, is on a lofty spiritual potential level. But he says potential doesn't mean it's actualized. A person could be very smart, very talented, very able, and a terrible failure. Why? They never used their potential. They never tapped into their potential. And just as you understand that you have to tap into your potential, there's this idea that there's things on a potential spiritual level that have to be downloaded, brought into our world. Potential kindness doesn't mean actual kindness. It has to actually happen. A person could have a feeling of kindness in his heart. He could care. He could want to help, but he never knew who needs help. And he never, for whatever reason, found out and just never did anything about it. So what you need is to harness, to channel, to bring forth and that's not called chesed. That's called gevura. That's called discipline. Because the channeling of things requires limitation, requires focus, like a diffusion of light that's everywhere versus a laser beam that's focused light. We need to focus that energy. And that requires not mass diffusion, but concentration. And that's called, in the language of Kabbalah, gvura, shebechesed, the disciplining, the harnessing, the taming of kindness. And the Rebbe says that it's possible, that's in the koyach, yuli shebelev, it's a tremendous amount of potential. But nothing ever happens. Because for that you need to be disciplined. For that, you need to be focused and rein it in, not simply express it or send it out. That's the only way it can be bullied. And he talks, this is the idea of a chaisim. The chaisim is what harnesses things. It's what solidifies things. It's what focuses things. He says, like in the Purim story, the edict of the king, which was not only an edict, but it was nechtam b'tabas ha-melech. It's signed. It's sealed. It's focused. In Lahashiv. Then forget about it. Otherwise, ideas. 
a suggestion, a supposition. Fantastic ideas. It doesn't have to be that way. But once it's actualized, that's another story. He says, this is the notion, pardon me, let me refer this is the concept of <coughs> the Chatima Tova, of the Parnasa being actualized, harnessed. And he says, we need that this hashpa, this divine beneficence, should be redes lamata bihishalkas lacholilumis, that it is parceled out, if you will, in all worlds. Conceptually, it's all there. Factually, it has to be brought forth. It has to be embodied. And that, he says, is what we pray for. And Alta Rebbe goes on later in the Mimer to bring what he calls a dogma, a paradigm. He says it's known there are various kinds of divine grace, material grace, material sustenance and beneficence from God. There's called mazon, literally sustaining edibles. Got to keep body and soul together. There's lavush, there's garments. I may be well fed, but I got holes in my clothes. I need a house. He says, then there's also a more spiritual kind of gift. A person should be blessed with wisdom. That's something. Not everybody's blessed with wisdom. A person should be successful in intellectual pursuit, in his studies. He talks about this on a spiritual level. He talks about success in prayer, by being able to download certain spiritual feelings and inspiration into a way that changes you as a person. He talks about the idea of emotional satisfaction, people being balanced, emotional wellness, mental health. It's not all about money. It's not all about clothing. It's not all about a home. A person can have all of those things and be miserable. How many famous people have Rahman taken their lives because they had no satisfaction, no inner wellness? It's a blessing. You're not smarter. You might be a lot more blessed. You have good friends. It's a blessing. You're able to feel a sense of satisfaction for what you do. That's a blessing. It's different forms of parnasa from God. And the Alta Rebbe says, It is for this precisely we pray on a daily basis. That the supernal, divine, godly energy should become actuated in a material medium. Like a person should have being able to pay his bills. A person should have children. Good health. In all of these various garments. In all of these forms of embodiment of divine kindness. A person is judged every single day. How will it work out? What will it come into in this world? And that's why a person has to pray for specifics. He might sense a need in a specific area, so he has to pray for that specific thing because tefillah, prayer, is the medium through which these things are able to be harnessed and channeled and brought and embodied into our world. 
He says, there's no contradiction. The statements of our sages is not contradictory. It's true. It's true that the volume of divine kindness that you and I will benefit from this year has already been decided at the beginning of the year. It's true. It's true that every single day we're judged anew. What will that look like in our world in real time? In a variety of things from health to wealth, from emotional satisfaction to nachas from our children. All this is included. And Alter Rebbe says, this is the meaning of Bechein, Bechesed, Uvenachamem. You can get the bare minimum, you can be sustained, but you don't have a sense of satisfaction, you don't feel good about it. You can have the divine kindness. It doesn't mean that it's translated into our realm. And towards the end of the Mimer, the Alter Rebbe returns to our verse here, Yagia Kapechon. And he says, This then is the point. A person must know that when he or she involves themselves in material pursuit, in the pursuit of what we call obtaining a livelihood, that he or she is creating bechines levush, you're giving God the ability to camouflage himself, so to speak. You're giving Hashem the ability, if you will, to provide you with parnasa, and it should look natural. That's what your business is about. How natural? So natural that you're ready to claim paternity. That's how natural. It has to look so good that you actually can believe it. And then you have to be smart enough not to. And he says, that's called Yegiyah Kapecha. It should be so well done, it makes perfect sense, to the point that you'll say, yeah, I, I did this. And then when you say you did it, then you'll stop You'll think, and you will remember. Remember that the Rebbe Almighty God is the source of success. That when it comes to business, and toil, and efforts, it's Yegiyas Kapecho. It's your, the, the handiwork, your hands, not your head. And that all of this comes because of the curse of other Marishan. Because of the original sin of the forbidden fruit. That only after that Hashem said, By the sweat of your brow will you eat bread, now with toil, with agony, will you be able to sustain yourself. It's all part of the chet of Adam Arishin. And when the sin of Adam Arishin occurred, there was a tremendous mix of reality, good and bad, shaf, toxins, and life elixing material were all mixed together. Broken pieces of glass were mixed into the tuna fish, if you will. I'm hungry. I want to eat. <laughs> you better pick the glass out. I could ruin your whole day. After having done all these things, a person should have the benefit. We say to Ben Shalalam, please, God, give me the ability to work hard and to see success. So that 
I have the ability, so then I can notice that it's only a garment. And despite the fact that it looks so natural, I will remember the true source of my blessings. That's Ashrecha Ba'ilam Hazeh. And that's Tevlach Ba'ilam Haba. Because I have successfully served Hashem in this world. And now it gets so interesting because the Rebbe and his Mimer adds another detail, a fascinating detail. And he says that really and truly, even sin aside, he says, Zehu Inyanatayra. This is the whole idea of Tayra. The whole idea of Tayra is Levarer, is to extract, to purify. In the metaphor, in the means, in the imagery of the crucible, we have this gold ore and gold ore, and you have to iron ore and gold, and you have to separate it from the toxins. And sometimes there are different things mixed together, and they all might be good, but not when they're mixed together. They all have a time and a place. And the Torah wants us to be able to digest things, to refine things, to purify things, to separate things, to classify things, to categorize things. It's good to be happy. It's good to be serious. In the right time, in the right place. You have to know when to do what. And this is the whole idea of Torah. The Torah asks us, behooves us, lahavdil, to make separations. Between that which is pure and impure. Between that which is holy and that which is mundane. So the whole idea of Birur and Havdalah is only when there is a Yerida and a Hislapshus, only when there's embodiment in this world, then we have work to do. If a person works a whole year long, sees not an ounce of success, and then miracles happen at the last moment, it's obvious. You know what's a miracle from Hashem. The greatest blessing is when it isn't obvious that it's a miracle from Hashem. And despite the fact that it isn't obvious, you still adopt that attitude. That is the most fortunate of people. When you are the recipient of divine beneficence, of, the, of, of God's largest, in a way which is inexplicable, has nothing to do with your efforts, and you walk away a believer, so to speak, did you really make an effort to be a believer? Not really. You were shown such amazing things. You had to be an absolute imbecile not to believe. How blind, how deaf, how dumb could you choose to be? Don't you see the hand of Hashem? Don't you see it has His fingerprints all over it? But when it's not so obvious, and despite the fact you are wise enough to discern and to see past the camouflage, to be able to identify the fingerprints of the Rabbeinu Shalom in every tiny detail, despite the fact that it looks entirely natural. That is an act of supreme Avedis Hashem. Perhaps one could argue that's what Purim is about. Miraculous events, entirely concealed within nature. And that's why, my dear friends, Yetzias Mitzrayim happened once the ten plagues, the exodus, once. Matan Torah, once. Once. Miracles, yesteryear. Overt expressions of divinity. No longer. Because the challenge of Avedis Hashem 
is to take all the riches that we were given through that revelation and to be able to live with it, to be able to harness and channel it, to be able to actualize it in our lives in having the right attitude because attitude is everything. If you can work and be successful and despite it have an attitude of gratitude to Hashem, you are the real winner. That's called the spiritual champion. That's what we should be working at. And the Rebbe says, as you can see in the Mimer of the Alter Rebbe, this rectifies, this perfects the sins of our ancestry. Sin of Adam Chava. This is an embodiment, really, an expression of the whole Torah, then. When a person toils and works to make a keli for his parnasa, the Rebbe said in the Rebbe's words, Naset Sir Prati Eliki, you form, you give a specific form for divine kindness to be embodied, to be expressed in this world. And why do you work and why do you toil and why is it so? It's old Ratzon Hashem. So the person only puts his handiwork into it. He doesn't put his head into it, so to speak. His head and his heart. That's Torah. Your heart is tefillah. Your work is your work. And that's the meaning of Neichel Shnelemis. That means you inherit two worlds. You inherit a world, and this world, a world that is free of anxiety and worries. A world that is filled with a sense of inner tranquility because you trust in Hashem and a future that is built out of refinement, out of a life lived right in this world. At the same Fabrengen, the Rebbe added in a, in a talk later on after the Mimer, and he said, this is what Rabbeinu Bahaya says when he talks about if you have the wrong attitude and you start to think that it's the work that brought you the blessings. So you say, oh, the lavush, the garment, is what brought the blessings. No, you don't be silly. The garment is only the vehicle. But if you get obsessed with the vehicle and you say, I just need some more garment. Well, then the Rebbe says there's this known idea which is talked about in various places in Hasidus. Tzemach Tzedek brings this metaphor. It's, I think, originally from the Alter Rebbe Lekototera. Tzemach Tzedek brings it in Derech Mitzvah We learned it before. He says, if you have a lavush, if you have a garment, garments are great. We all love nice clothes. What if the clothes don't fit? What if the clothes are too long? It hinders, obstructs, instead of enables. You have too much garment. You work at the cost or expense of the things you should have been doing to make a life, but you spent the time you were supposed to invest in life to make a living, not only didn't bring you more parnasa, but in fact, it can ruin your life. It gets in the way of your prayer, of your Torah study, of your family life. Not only you don't gain more money, you lose the things that are most valuable. The Rebbe quoted <coughs> an adage which is found in a letter from the Friedrich Rebbe. This is found in the fifth volume of the Friedrich Rebbe's letters on page 307. And the quote is, 
an explanation of the, the quote from Proverbs, where King Solomon in Proverbs 19, chapter 21 says, Rabot machashavot belevish. There are many thoughts in the heart of a person. Ba'atzat Hashem hitakum. It is ultimately the advice of God that sustains. So he says, Ma'ya What does a person have with all his many thoughts? In the end. Sof, sof. Atzas is tokum. All the many thoughts do nothing for you. Except give you problems. Who needs it? The Rebbe said the ribui, the multitude, of, the multifarious sounds and cacophony of voices of, in confusion that a person deals with, this comes from the animal soul. Like we know that there's a difference between the Esauvite expression and Jacobite expression. Esau says, Rav, I have a lots. Yaakov says, I have what I need, Yeshli Kol. The Rebbe says it just brings to a state of inner confusion. It's called Pizra Nefesh. I'm all over the place. I can't focus. I can't find inner peace. I can't find tranquility. I don't have any certainty in life. It's the opposite of peace. But a person has one machshava. And the Rebbe said, Betochen! That's the machshava. Trust in Hashem. And that's where a person invests himself. It brings menucha, peace in this world. And it brings a sense of good fortune and fulfillment. This, is my dear friends, I would like to humbly submit this, what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is alluding to when he says, and it says it. It's in a pasuk. And he finishes. And this, when I'm gonna sh- what he says now, in a sense, proves and demonstrates. I said to you a whole time, this wasn't like halachic, mandated, prohibited. He didn't use those words. This is appropriate. This is good. Chasidus is about beyond the letter of the law. And indeed, he says, "Va'amar echad min chasidim." What of the chasidim? He didn't say, "What of the observant Jews?" What of the chasidim said? Anitema. He says, "I wonder, A friend has given you, mashagazer loy, what was decreed for you. What decreed for you means from Hashem. The word loy is supposed to be understood as what comes to you from Hashem." And he says, Etzloi, that Hashem decreed that you should get what this person had and he gave you. And you're going thanking that person? Meaning you're ingratiating yourself for that person? He doesn't say, don't say thank you. He says, He comes to the person, I can't thank you enough. You don't know what you did for me. You gave me Parnosa. You saved my life. You are the one who gave me the money. You are the one who sustained me. You are the one who... The Rabbi Nishlan gives you. He says, it's even more astonishing to me. He got his sustenance through somebody else. That guy was just playing a role. He was the fall guy. The Abish to arrange that he should need it. He had a role to fill. You had the good fortune of being in the right time, the right place. He needed somebody to do it. Worked that perfect. He did you a favor. He decided you should have Parnasa. And you become subservient to him. You start to, 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 to flatter him. You praise him to the skies. So what are you doing? What kind of attitude is that? An attitude of gratitude means I'm a mensch. I say thank you. I'm appreciative. It doesn't mean I'm a shmata. It doesn't mean that I think that that person gave me parnasa. No person can give you anything, my friends. And here the Mepharshim explained this in such a clear,
clear way what the Rebbeinu B'chai is saying over here. The Teva Levanan says what he means to say is, Masha Gozerloi, me Hashem Yisbarech Hoysa Hazmanas HaParnasa. HaParnasa. HaParnasa comes from Hashem, not from a person. Hashem arranged that this person should be the one to give you the Parnasa. Hanoi saying, Einoi, Rak Shaliach Badovar. He's only an agent, an emissary. Like we say in the Megillah, why? why do we remember Chavona? Chavona might not even have been a good guy. According to the Gemara, he was a bad guy. He was a Hamanite. He just, to save his own skin. Hashem delivered salvation through him. So you show appreciation. You respect that. You remember him for good. You, you say, Chavona saved us? Hashem saved us. It doesn't mean not to show menschlichkeit. It doesn't mean, show, mean not to be decent. It's mean not to be polite. But the attitude of gratitude has to be to Hashem, not to people. In the words of the Paslechem, who comes to drive home Rabbeinu B'chayah's point here, he says, The giver, the provider, is giving to the recipient. It wasn't his choice, really. It's not his Hashem decided this person should get it. He says, That's the Makabal. Him means the giver, the Nason. He says, Don't be confused in your attitude of gratitude. Be gracious, be polite, be appreciative, don't grovel. Don't bend over backwards. Don't actually believe that the person is the one who delivered you. That Rabbeinu Shalom delivered you. It's the attitude. Rabbeinu B'chayah does not address the technicalities only. He says this technicality is an expression of an attitude. You actually believe that that's the source of your success. Could you? How foolish is that? Now the Marpil and Nefesh, he says, the rich person, the Oshir is just an apatrupus. He's just a caretaker. He's given the job to provide for his brother, the poor person. The greatest act of tzedakah is to be able to give parnasa. But he says, you know what really amazes me, he says, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is trying to say, that a person has success. He doesn't thank Hashem that he gave him his parnasa. He doesn't say thank you Hashem for sending a good shliach. Thank you for being Hashem's messenger. No. Instead he bows his head to that person. Like he'll do something against halacha to please that person. But Hashem is the one who gave you the success. That makes no sense. Yeah, people do it every day. Machnifa, you flatter him. As if this person gave you what's his. Now the Marpil and Nefesh says, what did Rabbeinu B'chayim mean when he said, Mukrach, he had to give it to you. He said, this is, this is kosher kitzas. This is a little hard to understand. Because, because tzedakah is a mitzvah. And a mitzvah means I have to have choice. Mitzvah and choice are synonymous. If I didn't choose to do a mitzvah, it, it wouldn't be a mitzvah. And if, and if the mitzvah is a mitzvah that happens by itself, it's not a mitzvah. 
Like, how does this work, he says. And the Marple Nefesh is a little bit at pains to, to try and explain this. It actually, he, it's, a, it's quite lengthy, his comments. I would, I would try to synopsize and say this. The Marple Nefesh says that we have seen in Rabbeinu B'chaya's work, in, in the Shara B'tachin, and, and previously in the Cheves Alvavos and the other gates, Rabbeinu B'chaya has talked multiple times about this idea that ultimately you get credit from Hashem for making a choice not for having actually done. Because a person could choose and make the effort and not succeed. And Hashem values that. A lot. He says that's what the, we learned this earlier about Rachamim. We learned it earlier about a mitzvah. He says, you must know that Hashem Yisbarech gives a person the opportunity to agree to do something, to choose to do something. But when it comes to actualization, Hashem Yisbarech it's God who makes it actually happen. A person is obligated to choose correctly. To agree, yes, I will part with my wealth. I will give tzedakah. And then when Hashem wants that this poor person should receive that tzedakah, He'll arrange the rest. How many stories are there of people who resolve to give a certain amount of tzedakah and then they bumped into somebody? Or they resolve to do a certain need? There are multiple stories with people who went to the oil and prayed, please ask Hashem to help me. And then they walk out of the oil and somebody was there and they had a conversation. And the person had just been there asking the Rebbe, please, I pray to, I pray to Hashem, show me the, the, how I should do this, who I should give to. And then, and then they both meet outside. I know personally at least four stories like this. That's the amazing Ashgach practice where the Eberster finds a way. This is what the Rebbe was, a facilitator of Hashem's brachas. Focusing, harnessing, channeling Hashem's brachas to us, bringing forth Hashem's brachas to us in real time as He davens on our behalf. So, this concept of things working out, it doesn't mean He was forced to make the choice. You made the choice. But the fact that you made the choice and that that person received in the end the actual largest, this is already in the hands of Hashem Yisbarach. It's a nuanced, somewhat difficult concept, but the Marple and Nefesh says, it's important that you wrap your head around this because he says, most of this gate, most of this gate can only be unlocked by virtue of this idea. And of course, <laughs> the Ezra's Hashem Yisbarach. And so my friends, in conclusion, attitude is everything. An attitude of gratitude to Hashem Yisbarech is the most important thing we might ever do. It brings us our blessings. It enables us to actualize our potential. It gives us a life that is filled with true inner peace and real satisfaction. Try it. I am. You should. Together, if we implement these ideas of betochen and continue to grow and to wax and to nurture them, 
we will be the recipient of the wonderful benefits that only Betachin can bring us. And hopefully, by intensifying our trust and ultimately our faith in Hashem, that helps us to successfully navigate our way through the final crashing waves of Golos, and that Hashem Yisbarach will finally send us Mashiach, Bimheira ubi ameno speedily, and in our days, amen. Thanks so much for joining. I'm grateful for your participation and for the opportunity to teach Torah and to share its holy, uplifting, inspiring ideas. If you found it uplifting and inspiring, I'd appreciate it if you could like, share. And let's please try to build the channel. Subscribe at youtube.com forward slash Shabby Mendel Kaplan. Thank you again for joining and have a beautiful day.